with you. I've been around for many centuries and uh, I've been here in Sunbridge Road loads and loads and loads of times. I think this is the first time I've been involved in a Sunday service. So um, it's nice to be with you this evening. And um, we're focusing on this title, Where is God in All This Suffering? And I want to start with just some verses from Scripture and um, whether we get it up on the thing. Oh, yes, there we are. Look, uh, very good. Mark chapter 4, and um, we're beginning at verse 35. Now, bearing in mind, we're thinking about suffering and where is God when we face or others face suffering. Okay, so verse 35 reads like this. That day when evening came, he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And then we're going to go into Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, but just pick out bits and pieces from Romans chapter 8, because it's a very long chapter. And beginning at verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, just for a few verses. Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then just jumping on to verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then jumping again to verse 35. Verse 35, 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I always operate on the principle that um, however little notice you take of me, I hope that you always take notice of what the scriptures say. And that's so important. Suffering. What a couple of weeks it's been. On our news, on our TVs, hurricanes, dreadful devastation, earthquakes, the, the, the bomb on the tube train in London, the uh, fleeing refugees from, from Myanmar and uh, all the, the, the suffering there and in so many places, our, our news every day is filled with, with dreadful suffering and uh, awful things going on. But of course it may not be uh, way out there in other parts of the world. It much may, may be much more closer to home. For some of us it might be that maybe after, over this last couple of weeks we might have lost a friend, a friend who's tragically been killed in an accident. Maybe that some of us have had the bad news that we've lost our job. And it can be devastating. How are we going to manage? How are we going to cope? It might be indeed that, uh, that uh, some of us have been diagnosed with a very serious illness. A terminal illness. And uh, we're faced with uh, such, such a changed future. And... Uh, how dreadful these things can be. And so suffering. Suffering is something that's around us all. All of us. It's in and around most people's lives all the time. Suffering. Now this evening, I dare say some will have come with a thought that, oh, I hope we're going to deal with this or we're going to deal with that. Or, uh, or whatever aspect of, um, of suffering. But it's such a massive subject. It really needs a whole series of sessions on this. So I'm just going to home in on some things and, um, and uh, many things I won't even touch upon and mention that you may think, well, surely this is important in this subject of, of suffering. But I want to focus on the fact of suffering itself, um, look at an example or two from Scripture and one personal example, and, um, and asking ourselves, how as Christians do we view suffering 
And then how do we speak to other people? People who may not yet be Christians. How do we speak to them? When they're suffering or others are suffering. And so whether it's, it's my own suffering, whether it's another Christian's suffering, or whether it's the neighbour who isn't yet a Christian who's going through suffering, or maybe other things, as say, things that we see on the news and hear on the news. When we deal with these things, whether it's ourselves or others, where do we begin? And I hope we all know that where we begin, of course, is in the Word of God. It's in God's words. We've all got our opinions, haven't we? We've all got plenty of those. But in all things to do with life, it's so important that first and foremost, we come to see what God himself says, what God's words tell us. And that's really so important. I remind you of, of, of what we just read a, a moment ago in Romans 8. Who shall separate us? I'm a Christian. I've been joined to Jesus Christ by faith. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then there's that long list. Shall trouble, hardship or persecution? These are serious things, aren't they? Persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? These are dreadful things. And, and the question, will any of these things actually separate me from him? I may suffer great physical harm and mental harm, but are these things going to separate me from him? And, and he goes on, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 35 and 39. Well, do we believe that? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Those words of Paul. Or another well-known passage, Psalm 23. You know how it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. We are sheep. He's a shepherd who watches over his sheep. He goes before them, he guides them, he feeds them, he protects them. They're so secure and so satisfied with him. And he goes on in the psalm, the psalmist, to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I experience things in my life that will be really dreadful, so dark, so frightening, so scary, so lonely, so awful, even though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. And why is the psalmist sure of that? Why will he fear no evil? For you are with me. You are with me. Everybody else may have left me. I may feel all alone in this dreadful suffering, in this dark situation I'm going through, whether it's, it's dying or whether it's some other awful situation in my life. But even though I may feel alone, clearly this God, this shepherd, is with me. Now, do I believe that? 
I know it's printed in my Bible and it may be well thumbed and it's the kind of thing you hear at funerals. It always strikes me, it strikes me as odd that it's read at funerals and not many other uh, times in life. And yet it's all about living. Another psalm. Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence? The psalmist here isn't wanting to get away from God, but he's just making a clear point. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And the psalmist is saying, wherever I go, wherever I go on this planet, wherever I go in this entire universe, God is there. Right there. And uh, Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he's preaching to the people in Athens and he's speaking about the real God and he's speaking about this God and creator and he finishes up in his sermon saying this, God, this, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. That's verse 27 of, of Acts 17. Reach out, find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And Paul could say that to any audience anywhere, and he can say that to us tonight. God is not far from each of us. So where is God where is God when I am suffering he's right here where he's always been that's the answer to the question he's right here where he's always been And this God is the one we are to seek, whether I'm a Christian, whether I'm not yet a Christian. This is the God I'm to seek. This is the God I'm to find. And this is the God I'm to prove in my everyday life, especially in those difficult and dark and trying times. The God who is always here. Now, over the years of my ministry, and um, I've been involved in various parts of the world here in Bradford, of course, for a long time, and in London and in Northern Ireland. And uh, I've, I've um, knocked my knuckles raw on many doors. Um, and I uh, always believed in spending a lot of time knocking on people's doors and speaking to them. And... Um, one of the most uh, frequent questions I've got from people over the years is, is this. Tell me, if there is a God, how come there's all this trouble? How come all these wars and people falling out and all the trouble we've got in the world if there is a God? How come? And also alongside that is the more personal one and the more personal attack against Christianity. Just waiting for a Christian a soft Christian to arrive at the door so they can let fly. And uh, I'm sure you, you've had the same sort of thing. When, um, when, when people say um, this, this, this kind of thing, look, when I lost my mum, or when I lost my husband, or when I was made redundant, 
or when I had that diagnosis, that terrible illness, or when I got cancer, or whatever it was. Where was God then? Where was God then? Now, always, I've answered, whenever I've been attacked like that, or asked questions like that, I've always answered uh, in the same way, and also asked two questions. And the answer, of course, I've always given is, yes, God exists, and he's right here where he's always been. He's right here where he's always been. But then I follow up with a question. When you were going through this terrible crisis in your life, whatever it was, did you seek God? Did you seek him before that, maybe? Or when you were going through, experiencing this terrible time in your life, did you call out to him? Did you seek him? Or maybe afterwards? And more often than not, the response I've had from folk is, oh, I'm, I'm too busy. I haven't got time to be messing about with religion and stuff. And, uh, or, or they say, oh, well, um, well you, you don't need to go to church. And anyway, it seems to me after people who go to church are just hypocrites anyway. And uh, time and time again, I'm sure you've heard the same thing. People speak like that. But then here comes my second question after that. If you didn't seek God, if you still haven't been seeking God after this terrible experience you've had in your life, why, just because you faced a crisis at a certain time, why did you expect him to appear and to fix the problem? Do you really think that God is like the magic genie of the lamp? You rub the lamp and out comes the genie and he fixes your problem and then he goes back in the bottle and that's that? And it's so important to urge upon people that, that this God in whom we believe He's about making permanent relationships with individual people, isn't he? It's a life with God. He's not a God who's at the end of the phone, you ring 999, here's an emergency, God help me, thank you very much, you've sorted me out, now go away. But he becomes part of my life. And it's so important, isn't it, when we're talking to others, and so important for us as Christians just to remember that God must be always part of my life. In every aspect of my life, he's got to be part of it. So whether I'm going to use the Bible, and it's not always appropriate to have a Bible in my hand when I speak to others, but either way, whether I use the Bible or I'm just summarising with the Bible, it's important to tell people where we're talking about this suffering, where is God in all this suffering? Well, where does suffering come from? How did suffering come about? Well, of course, we must go to the first book in the Bible, to Genesis. And there, in chapter 3, we read that God created everything. He created the world in which we live, and it was all very good, we're told. And then he creates the first human beings, Adam and Eve. 
and everything is marvellous. They have a great relationship, perfect fellowship together, and everything is lovely. God has given them everything to enjoy, and he's specified clearly that uh, they're to eat all the fruit that, that, that they can have, but there, there's this one fruit that they're not to eat, and God makes it clear what they can do, what they can't do. Um, and of course, then along comes this serpent, the character we know more in a more familiar guise as Satan, the devil, and he deceives Adam and Eve, and they disobey God. They eat that fruit that God had forbidden them to eat. But now there's a change, isn't there? That perfect relationship they had is now completely changed. And they're driven from the garden. They're separated from God. Their disobedience to God has brought about separation. And with it, they're promised that now their life is going to be difficult. There are going to be trials, there are going to be tribulations, there's going to be suffering as a result of their disobedience. Going to chapter 4. And there we meet the offspring, Cain and Abel. And uh, one brother has killed the other. And God asks, Cain, where is your brother? And uh, am I my brother's keeper? Deceiving, trying to deceive God. And again, we get the same thing. We get that separation. We read that Cain went out from the presence of God. And already we're into four chapters of the Bible and already we see it clearly written across the pages that disobedience to God, what the Bible calls sin, separates us from God and a result of that separation we have trials, we have suffering. And that's where suffering begins. Jump on a couple of chapters to Genesis 6. Sorry, we're not going to go all the way through Genesis, um, all the way through the Bible. But God raises up Noah to build a massive boat. And why has he got to build this big boat? Well, we read, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's verse 5. The Lord was grieved. And as a result, he says in verse 7, I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. How serious sin is. But of course we know that God literally didn't wipe all mankind from the face of the earth because he saved Noah and his family and the animals in that boat. And we see there then God's righteous anger against people who are willfully disobedient to God. But also we see his mercy towards Noah and to his family. We see God's righteous anger against sin and we see his mercy towards sinners. And as you go through your Bible from then on, you get that picture over and over again. God's righteous anger against sin, the consequences of sin and the suffering that it brings. And also God's mercy towards sinners. And of course, that event 
uh, in Genesis 6 points to a future event, a future event of real darkness and real suffering, an event of sin and God's mercy to sinners. And of course, we think of Calvary, Jesus Christ going to a cross to die for sinners. Where is God at Calvary? He's right there. He's right there. And this time, instead of wiping out mankind, God is pouring out his wrath against his own son, his sinless son, Jesus. He's pouring out his anger against him. And through him, of course, God is pouring out his, uh, his mercy and grace toward hell-deserving hell sinners like us to rescue people drowning in their sin. And if you are a Christian here this evening, if you are, call yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, it's good to remember Isaiah 53, verse 3, where it speaks of Jesus. It says, he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And of course, there's so much joy in the Christian life but suffering, just like our Saviour, is part of that life. And of course, the sin doesn't just affect people, does it? It affects the whole planet. Everything in our world is affected by sin. And until what we read in Romans 8, until the groaning of creation, until God ends that, then there will remain in this world, there will remain earthquakes and hurricanes and wars and tragedies and illness and dying. These things remain. These are part of life in this world. It's so important that people see where it's come from, why we suffer, why this world is so topsy-turvy. And of course, even when I become a Christian, suffering doesn't stop. And uh, there are those in Christian circles, and I hope you uh, don't take notice of what they say, but there are those who maintain that Christians shouldn't suffer. Those who maintain that Christians should never be sick, never be ill, and so on. And... Um, and uh, when they speak to me like that, I said, oh, well, that's why Jesus, uh, for instance, tells his disciples to take up their cross, their cross of suffering, to take up their cross and follow him. Why he tells his disciples and tells all Christians that they'd suffer and be persecuted for their faith. John chapter 15, verse 2. Yes, if you're a Christian... Very likely, and the world that we're living in at the moment and the legislation that's going on through our government and, and we can see it day after day. The time is getting closer when even here in Britain, Christians are going to face real persecution. Godly Job. Now there's an example in the Bible. What had he done wrong? 
Do you know when somebody suffers, when something goes wrong, that's a question people ask. What have they done wrong? What had Job done wrong? He lost his family. He lost everything. He lost his health. What a terrible time he went through. And what do we read? We read of, of Job that he was blameless, upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil. That's Job chapter 1, verse 1. And he suffered, and we don't quite understand why it was that Satan wanted to tempt him, but it's, in, it's important to see that God set limits. He was allowed to test Job, but only to a certain degree. God was still in control. But in his suffering, and this is the point for us, this powerful and inspiring testimony that Job bears in the midst of his suffering. You remember those well-known words. He's lost his family, he's lost possessions. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What about that? You've lost your family, you've lost your home, you've lost everything. Well, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What a testimony that is. Interestingly, right at the end of Job, in chapter 42, we read, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He'd gone through all that dreadful suffering and he'd lost loved ones, etc., etc. And yet we're told that at the end of his life, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more, even more, than the first. You see, Job, like other believers in God, like other Christians, Sometimes when we go through these dark, dark experiences, these experiences of suffering, we can learn precious lessons. We can experience God in a very precious and special way through our suffering. And if you forget everything else I've said tonight, I want us to see that suffering, we should look at suffering in a much more positive way. We don't enjoy suffering. We don't wish it on anyone. And yet, through suffering, the Lord can often minister to us and teach us things and equip us in a way that otherwise probably wouldn't happen. And just before we, uh, we um, come to a personal example, um, the words of Psalm 42 are so helpful. Here's a psalmist and he's, he's in agony. He's really, really down on his uppers. And he really feels that just things have just not gone right. And, he's, and uh, what is he doing? And this is so important for us when we're going through difficult times. He stands outside of himself, as it were, and he, he addresses himself and he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? 
And it's interesting in that uh, psalm, the, the people were taunting him. Where, where is your God? Look at you. Look at the state you're in. Where's your God? What kind of a God is that that lets you get into a state like this? But as he addresses himself so, he goes on to, to, to say to himself, hope in God. His God is real. And he knows that even though things are difficult now, and in the, we won't refer to it now, but, but, but in that psalm, the, the, the words are literally saying, God, God alone is the one who can put a real smile on my face. In spite of the darkness and the difficulty that I'm going through, I can look to him, I can trust in him, and I can know that he will work. And he will change my circumstances, he'll change my life. And uh, that'll only be good for me. I mentioned the personal example. I just share this with you, um, just in case you think I'm uh, dealing with in theory only. Uh, just over 13 years ago now, uh, my family, we faced a crisis. My wife, who'd been enjoying perfect good health, very active, and um, seemingly many, many, many years ahead of her, um, was feeling somewhat unwell and tired. And um, I persuaded her in the end to go and see the doctor. She was quite sure that she just needed a bit of a holiday and things would be fine. And um, the result of the visit to the doctor was that she was referred to a specialist. And she went to see this specialist who said, yes, there may be something, something wrong inside, but um, uh, nothing to worry about. But uh, I'll send you for a scan just to make sure. And um, shortly after that, she had a scan. And the scan revealed that she was terminally ill with pancreatic cancer. Uh, so advanced, there was nothing they could do. And uh, I can remember vividly the phone call. I went to the hospital after the scan, which we thought was just a routine thing. And uh, we sat together in the hospital and uh, had this conversation that perhaps you only have once in your lifetime as we got five kids and uh, we sat there trying somehow to come to terms with terminal illness and um, I should say that though my wife was a very godly person and uh, a great example and well-loved very popular person she struggled I think because as a conscientious Christian she often struggled with a sense of real assurance that she was a Christian and many times she'd, she'd go through periods when she just doubted am I a Christian at all can I be a Christian at all now on that night when we had the diagnosis when we had the results of this scan she was and she remained absolutely certain of God's love and a security in him. So much so that when we were talking and trying to sort of work out, well, how is this going to work for us as a family and, and where will it all end? And, um, 
And in fact, the doctors had sort of said, well, we think possibly you may live for two to three years. In actual fact, it was five weeks. But as we talked, I can remember that Chris said so clearly to me and with such conviction, she said, when we were talking about how the future might work in these next days, she said, God has given me the easy bit. God has given me the easy bit. And, uh, well, we were already crying, but I cried even more then because she was clearly so assured of God's nearness and help and that... Uh, she knew that she was going to be with him, however long that would be. But that here was I, a father of five kids, etc., etc., and uh, work and all the rest of it. How is that all going to work out? You've got the difficult thing, but I've got the easy bit because I'm now going much earlier than I thought to heaven and to be with the Lord. And how glorious that's going to be. I've got the easy bit. And, um, and it's so powerfully spoke to me of how the Lord was right there in this situation and how I'd in one sense wanted that day never to be and to wind the clocks back but how lovely that the Lord had worked in the situation like that the Lord was so good to us in those five weeks the remaining three weeks of her life spent in the Marie Curie hospice and um, it was it was like a little anteroom to heaven. The sun seemed to shine every day. We worked together through very slowly through Philippians. And, um, and the focus was heaven every day, in spite of the pain and the suffering uh, that she was going through. That um, the certainty of heaven and the glory of heaven. And, um, and that was such an amazing experience but you know with all the dealings and for us as a family and for the kids to deal with losing their mum one of the hardest things in all that time was the reaction from friends people who worked with my wife neighbors people who weren't christians people who were so downright angry and resentful you're supposed to be Christians. How come your gods let, let this happen? You know, they were so angry and I had such a struggle, so much more of a struggle with them than with actually coping with losing my own wife and trying to urge on them. Look, isn't this a privilege? Yes, it's hard for us, but what a privilege for her that she's gone to be with the Lord uh, so much sooner than expected. And of course, they thought this was just nonsense but what I want to say is that as a result of that and the experiences of the years since then I found my dealings with other people who have lost loved ones uh, my view and reality and excitement about heaven My trust in God, the reality of God, and the strength and the power of God, all of these things are on a different level now from where they were.
before my Chris went to be with him. I would dearly love that she'd be here and their, uh, the kids have still got their mum. But how lovely that she's rejoicing in the presence of God, but also how blessed we have been in so many different ways, so many different ways, through the experience of those weeks and the subsequent years. And I say that really just to say that suffering can be a means of great blessing in our lives and in the lives of others. Remember Job. Whatever difficulties we may think we've gone through, it's nothing like Job's. And look at the outcome for Job. If we think Job suffered dreadfully, think of the Lord Jesus Christ, how much he suffered. Think about him and think what he's achieved through that suffering on the cross. This faithful, this powerful, this all-knowing, this all-loving, this all-forgiving God. He is always here. He's always here. Whether my suffering, and we haven't dealt with this really this evening, but whether my suffering is a result of my own deliberate disobedience. I know God tells me to do this, but I'm jolly well doing that instead. We know that's human nature. And sometimes we can suffer for it. We'll suffer dreadfully through our disobedience to God. Whether my suffering is a result of disobedience or whether it's a result of very faithful, godly living. My confidence, our confidence must be in this real, this amazing, this ever-present God. In the sunshine and in the storms, in the easy times and in the extremely hard times. We need to know and we need to prove and we need to proclaim to others this God is right here where he's always been. Where he's always been, this God who is in control of all things. And that's so important. How real is our God? How real is our God? And God, I, I don't wish on any folk that you may go through a crisis time or suffering or bereavement and all of these things, uh, terminal illness. But it's often, and some of us, I know I speak from experience, I've had cancer myself, and, um, and the doctors weren't very, very, very positive about the, the, the possible outcome, but as you can see, I'm alive and um, still going here. And, uh, but I remember at the time, it was very precious because uh, the outcome wasn't looking at all uh, good. And uh, it was good to think, well, I'm in his hands, I'm in his arms. And... Uh, you know, our God will always do right. And always, if we're trusting him and faithful to him, he will bless us. And um, whether he blesses us with long life or not, these experiences can be such a help 
when we're seeking to witness to others around us, whether they're fellow Christians or whether those people are not yet Christians. May God really help us to have a, a positive attitude about suffering, but also a real trust in a real God who is always here.